0: Morning everyone, and very welcome to our service uh, this morning. Uh, Just to remind you that there's a a wheat daily bread, uh, not just in the small print, but there's bigger versions of it now in the vestibule, and it's great to see our vestibule back in use again. Uh, So if you would like, if you would like daily bread in bigger print, uh, there's about a dozen of them out there in the vestibule. Um, I'll be off on holiday from Friday the 24th of June to Thursday the 30th of June inclusive. Uh, next Sunday morning, the Reverend Norman Hamilton will be taking the service. Um, if you need the services of a minister, please contact your elder or clerk of session, uh, Billy Hindman. Um The Reverend Alan Little was, has kindly agreed to cover for me for the week, and uh, so Billy can get, get in touch with him if so necessary. Let me just start the service by by reading, and it is a communion service, so we want to be focusing on those uh, days up to the cross. Um, Let me read Luke chapter 22, verse 15. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And Jesus is present with us this morning and eagerly desire to come amongst us and to touch our hearts and lives as we meet around his table. Let's pray together. Father, we want to invite you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into our service this morning. Lord, we want you to do what you need to do in our hearts, whether that be conviction, whether that be assurance, whether that be reassurance, whether that be comfort. Lord, we pray that you would move within this place from heart to heart and seat to seat, and may we hear your voice in the worship and in the words, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing our first hymn, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Uh, one of our young people, uh, Curtis Ross. Curtis has been waiting for a while now. Uh, He had COVID last time, so it's good to have him here. So, uh, Curtis, would you just stand a minute and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Have you received Jesus Christ to be your Savior and the Lord of your life? Yes. Since Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, dwells in you by the Holy Spirit, will you endeavor with his help to be open to his will for your life, to live in fellowship with him through daily prayer and Bible study, to obey him and honor him in your daily life and to witness for him by what you say and how you live, to be regular in attendance at worship and at the Lord's table, to be active in the life and work of your own church, to be loyal to its leadership and to support it financially and in every other way you can to play your full part in his mission to the world. Okay, <laughs> that was a long one. <laughs> okay, Curtis, just uh, can I just offer you a little gift from Ballycrocket Presbyterian Church and welcome you into the communicant membership of the church? Um, unfortunately, normally I'd give you the right hand of fellowship, but I'm not allowed because of Covid. Okay, so uh. It also gives me great pleasure also to receive uh, Edith Clegg into Communicant membership. She's been here a long time, but she's finally bit the bullet, and she's uh, coming in as a Communicant member. So, Edith, if you'd like to stand, just in case anybody doesn't know who you are, but I'm sure they do. Okay, so please give them both a round of applause. Okay, now. Thank you. Um, communicant membership, I just wanted to clarify this so we, for a couple of minutes. Communicant membership uh, in our church can be, can be done in three, one of three ways. First of all, if you're coming to us from another Presbyterian church, uh, it's done by means of a disjunction certificate sent to us by your previous church. And then you go straight in there and transfer into being a communicant member here. Or secondly, if you come to us from another denomination, then we accept you into communicant membership in receipt of a letter uh, from your previous church informing us that you were receiving communion there, and we accept that. And thirdly, if you're wanting to join us as a new communicant member without any history of another church, perhaps you haven't been to another church, or perhaps you don't have the records from your previous church, Um, You can do that. You can become a community member by taking communion uh, classes with us here and make profession, as you have seen Curtis do this morning. Um, So I'm hoping that come to the autumn time, I'm hoping to do a series of communion classes, and I encourage anyone, no matter what denomination they've come from, um, to come along and people even that have been in Ballycroch and Presbyterian Church, maybe for many years, but you would like a refresher course of what communion means, which is very, very important, but uh, also what what, what happens with regards to communion in the Presbyterian Church. So I'll let you know near the time when that is coming up, but I would encourage you uh, to do that um, if you have the time. Thank you. So I just, uh, you'll see on your reorder service, There's a wee, uh, it says, uh, pre-communion meditation. Well, the little verse I want to look at is Romans 3, 23. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I'm sure you'd think I was a bit crazy if I said I was going to try and change the light bulb using these ladders. I could get up so far. Oh, I don't think... (laughs) I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm a bit short, you know, not on these ladders. And so it's falling short, right? Massively falling short. And and sometimes we can... Many people think that if they lead a good life, they're on one rung. If they go to church, that's another tick in the boxes. It's another rung. Just let me fall off this and claim against the church. (laughs) But many people think that the more they do, if they lead a good life and all of those things which are good, that somehow they'll be hopefully acceptable to God and get into the kingdom of heaven. But uh, we're told that we fall short because of our sin sin is a, an archery term, an old archery term. When you miss the mark, that was called sin. So we keep on missing the mark. Even though we try to live good lives, we keep on missing the mark, and we can never get, get into the kingdom of God on our own merit. And that's what I want you to think. Of. And that's what it's been like. Even, like. Take some of the best people in the Bible. For example, take Moses, Moses grew up in a palace in Egypt. He was well-educated. He, he was a Jew, as you know, but he had such, God had such hopes for him to be able to, after his training in Egypt, to be able to lead people out of Egypt. But one day he saw uh, an Egyptian beating up a Jew. And so he goes and kills the Egyptian. And he has to run for his life. And he runs away. And he lives as a shepherd for 40 years. And God has to bring him back again. He fell short. He fell short. Or, Or take someone like David. David is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. God loved him. He just was so close to God. You see all the Psalms that he's written. But yet, one night he's finding it hard to sleep. He gets out onto the palace, stands on the, on, the, on the roof of the palace, is looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he notices this beautiful girl taking a bath. He sends for her, he commits adultery, he ends up with a child, and he ends up killing her husband to try and keep the secret. David, a man after God's own heart, but he falls short. Or think of Isaiah. Isaiah comes into the temple one morning and he sees the Lord there. We're told that the Lord filled the temple in this morning with Isaiah. Uzziah. And Isaiah's standing there thinking, This is incredible. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at the Lord. And then he suddenly realizes he starts to see sins in his life that he never knew he had. Because in the purity of God, he recognizes, Goodness, I'm not so pure. And he starts, he'd fallen short. Or take Peter, for example. Peter, three years with Jesus, getting his confidence up. An ex-fisherman, he's getting really confident. Jesus says one night on the Passover night, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to die. And Peter's going, no way. No way you're dying. Yet that night when the cock crows, he's denied him three times. Did you, do you, know, you, know, you know Jesus, you hung about, no, 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 denied him three times. And as Jesus is coming out from the trial, Jesus catches Peter's eye when he's just denied him. And Peter feels awful, and he goes and weeps and weeps and weeps. The Greek actually emphasizes this. it's. we're told he wept bitterly, but, but what, what the Greek is saying is he wept until his lungs were sore, Falling short, and you and I, we fall short of God. We can never, ever, in our own merit, reach that place where God can say, That's acceptable, come in. So there has to be something else, as I've spoken about before, the third party who comes to pay the debt. And once the debt is paid, the judge has to say, Well, okay, the debt is paid, you're free. And Christ is that third party. But let me just give you one other example. Jeremiah, after Jerusalem at one point where Babylon comes in that's one of the biggest nations in the world and it comes in and God uses it to discipline his people and they come, Babylon comes in and the temple is in ruins homes are broken up the, the walls are in ruins everything is a mess a war zone and Jeremiah, I'm sure not many people read Lamentations, but Lamentations is all about this guy, Jeremiah the prophet, and he's breaking his heart over what's happened to Jerusalem. He's breaking his heart. And in a sense, in a metaphorical sense, that's what we're like before we come to Christ. There's no way we can come to God on our own merits. Our hearts are broken, our hearts are stained with sin. There's no way we can reach that point. And in a sense, we're like Jerusalem. Walls broken, temples in ruins, total despair. And then right in the middle of that we book of Lamentations, Jeremiah. And I can imagine him walking around the rubble in Jerusalem, tears in his eyes, looking at homes, looking at people who have lost family members. And, And then he turns around, and this is what he writes. He writes, God, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He doesn't know how, but he's looking to someone ahead. He's looking to the cross. He's looking to someone ahead that can bring about restoration. And that's what we do. When we look back to Jesus for it to be that third party, to pay the debt that we might come into his presence and know the Father. So that's just a wee pre-meditation thing, uh, it's a wee pre-communion meditation What we're going to sing now is amazing grace because it is amazing grace. Every single person that comes to faith in Christ, they know their weakness, they know they've sinned, and they come and call out to Christ for forgiveness and for his salvation. So amazing grace. We're going to stand and sing that now. Let's pray. And we're going to have the Lord's Prayer in a wee moment. Hopefully you'll pray with me as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Father, we just want to open our hearts this morning. Father, sometimes our hearts are closed, sometimes just simply from busyness of life. But we want to be still And know that you are God this morning. And we want to receive how much you love us, Lord. How much you care for us. That you would give your only son in our place. That we might know you. That we might spend our years on earth with you. Getting to know you. But then passing into your presence for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for what it cost. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that when Jesus left, you sent to give us the strength to live in Christ and for Christ to live in us and through us. Father, we are aware this morning, this is a special service, Lord. We want to know your presence here. But we're aware also that there are folk here watching online and would love to be here, but their health just doesn't permit it. God, I pray that they may join us this morning and that they may be reassured that they are not forgotten by the people here, that they are ever in our prayers and our thoughts, that, Father, that they would one day have the strength and the ability to be able to come out here again. But if they can't, Lord, we know that you are present with them right now. Father, we're going to say the prayer that Jesus taught us to say in a moment, but Lord, it's great that we can call him Abba Father. And it's because of you, Lord Jesus, that we're able to do that. And, Lord, it's such a privilege to know him as Father rather than as our judge. To know him as a Father of love and kindness. Lord, we just want to come and we want to pray that prayer together, which you taught us to say, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't he wonderful? <laughs> he is wonderful. Um, okay, I'm going to do a Bible reading. Um, i moving from Philippians this week, because it's communion service, and I want to read a little bit from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 12. Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 12. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Amen. This is the word of God. Let's stand. There's an old one here we're going to sing. I love this one. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power, wonder-working power. Feel free, if you get excited, to clap if you want (laughs) to. need a couple of tambourines for that one. So. <laughs> okay. You now, the book of Isaiah, it's a wonderful book. Um, did you know that the, the book of Isaiah is like a Bible within a Bible? Um, it has 66 chapters, the same number of books as, as the Bible has. The first two sections have 39 books, um, the same number of books in the Old Testament. And in the last section of Isaiah, there's 27 books, the same number of books in the New Testament. So it's like a Bible in a Bible. Well, King Hezekiah was one of the best kings to sit on the throne of Judah. And his son Manasseh, however, was one of the most evil kings to sit on the throne of Judah. Since King Hezekiah's time, there had been a moral and a spiritual decline. And um, The prophets Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah, they had tried and they had pleaded with the people to turn away from their idolatry, to turn away from their wickedness, but to no avail, they wouldn't do it. And Isaiah preaches the people are on the brink of total disaster. God is about to severely discipline them with that nation I was talking about earlier. The power of Babylon was coming upon them very, very soon. And God was going to use that to chastise them and to discipline them. And by this point, God has given them numerous occasions, plenty of occasions to repent and turn back to him. But now they were about to reap the inevitable consequence of their disobedience to God. And it's at this moment, sitting on the brink of captivity, that Isaiah speaks the words of God, which surprisingly are not words of judgment, as you might expect, but they're words of comfort. He says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Jeremiah, I want you to go and comfort them. They're in for a tough time. I want you to go and comfort them. Of course, Isaiah's message, it's not just for his day, but it's for our day also. He speaks to your heart, and he speaks to my heart. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. As I say, you'd expect to hear words of anger from God because they'd been so disobedient. But no, they're words of compassion, incredible compassion and love and kindness, his words are words of, first of all, forgiveness. He says, As I speak, to, or, as I speak to tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Forgiveness. You know, when you read this, you'd be tempted to think that God had been severe on his people. You know, she's received from the Lord's hand, double for all their sins. There's a tendency to think perhaps that God has God paid them twice? Has He hit them twice? Has He hit them doubly hard for their sins? But uh, for this verse, we need to understand the culture in order to understand this context. Biblical times of Imam is hopelessly in debt really badly in debt and unable to make any payments. It was, ne- it was customary for the creditor then to write out a, on a parchment a statement of how much the man owed and nail it to his door. So he'd put the bill on his door for everyone in the community to see it would be a sense of shame and sorrow and embarrassment. Um, but then... <laughs> If someone else came and paid that debt for him, the creditor would then go to the house, take down the piece of parchment, he'd double it over, which would be a sign that it's all paid for, and he'd seal it back on the door. And that's what the term means here, that God has... Uh, this man have received double for his debt. You have received double for your sins. In other words, they've been paid for. The parchment has been folded over in double, in two, and sealed upon the door. And yes, this is what God is saying to them. You know, your sin has been paid for. The consequences of sin will still come. The Babylonian army are still on their way. I'm not calling them back. There will be a discipline. Um, But I want you to be able to go into captivity with the comfort in these words. Your sin has been paid for. You know, the piece of parchment filled with records of all of her sins, it's been folded over, it's in double. God, through Isaiah, in this very chapter here, is introducing us to Calvary. Calvary. As I will write later in Isaiah 53, verse five, he will write, "He was bruised. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. He has paid it all for us. You now, perhaps I'm speaking to someone this morning, and you live under a burden of guilt for things that you've done in your past or failed to do in your past, and you're in that place where you feel, I know that without God's grace, I'm finished. Like on the ladder, you can try and try and try, as be as good as you can, but the sin in your life, it, the result is you always fall short of God's standards. So bar the grace of God, I'm done for. Bar the grace of God, I'm finished. If you feel like that this morning, then this message is for you. You have received double, not for some, not for a few of your sins, but for all your sins. Of course, in order for that to be a reality, there needs to be that faith response from your own heart, turning from sin to God, trusting that Christ, what he did on the cross was for you, And that is enough for you. And in that response, in that personal response to what Christ has done for you, then the parchment is taken off the door. It's doubled and resealed on the door, paid in full. You know, here the people of Jerusalem, they're waiting. They can hear the galloping hoofs of the horses coming and the Babylonian army. They can see in the distance the sand spraying into the air as these hordes are moving towards Jerusalem. The people will receive the consequences of their sin. When you throw a rock into a pond, there are ripples. When you sin, there are consequences. And God's saying, I'm not going to take the consequences away, but I want you to go into captivity and realize your sin has been paid for. You've received double for all your sins. And for the next 70 years, God will continue to discipline them. But through the next 70 years in captivity, they'll be able to treasure this promise in their hearts. We have received God's forgiveness. We have received double for all our sins. Paid in full. And that's a word for you if there's things in your life that you find hard to forgive yourself for. It's been dealt with in the cross. But the voice of forgiveness is immediately followed by the voice of deliverance. You know, forgiveness is not the end of the Christian experience, it's just the beginning. When we come to Christ, it's not the end, it's beginning. And we're told the voices of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Many people from Jerusalem... Many of the, you could say, the creme de la creme from Jerusalem were being taken as slaves to, into captivity. Um, they were taken, being taken to a place where there were foreign gods and there were unfamiliar culture, and it was a foreign land. It was very, very frightening. And the way back from Jerusalem would be difficult also, at least a 30-day journey through the desert, over mountains, down into valleys... In 70 years' time, when they'd be given the chance to return, when the king of Persia takes over and he allows them to return, the journey will almost seem to them to be impossible. Too many valleys, too many mountains, too many hard times, bandits along the way. You know, perhaps you feel this morning as a follower of Christ, I'm not where I used to be with Jesus. In fact, I feel miles away from him. I don't know how I got so far away from him, but I don't feel close to him anymore. I feel far from him. Perhaps you feel too ashamed to come back to the Lord. Perhaps you've even doubted that he would receive you. You may feel in my life I have moved so far away from him. To come back to him, it's going to be too complicated. I've gone too far. There's too much water under the bridge, too many mountains to climb, too many dark valleys to pass through. You know, repentance, which simply means a change of mind, which simply means I'm going to turn away from my own sin. I'm going to turn to God. It simply means. But sometimes repentance, when we've been involved in so much that's away from God, repentance can be a rocky road. It can be difficult. Well, the thing is, God is, if you feel like that this morning, God is saying to you, if you call on him, he will make a way. There's deliverance, not just forgiveness, but there is deliverance. He will deliver you back to himself. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and every mountain and hill brought low. He's telling you there's forgiveness that if you choose to come back, there's not just forgiveness, there's deliverance. Deliverance from every sin that binds you. The man or woman who the son sets free is free indeed. I'm sure you've heard the parable of the prodigal son. The guy who runs away as far as he can, he gets himself into all sorts of trouble. Meanwhile, back at the homestead, the father's looking down the lane every day to see if his son is coming back. Hoping and praying that he'll come back. And one day he sees that familiar figure at the end of the lane and he runs down to greet him. And you know, many a father would have said, I told you so. Wouldn't it? Many a father would say, I told you so, son, you stupid idiot. (laughs) Wouldn't it? But not this man. Hugs and kisses. Hugs and kisses in abundance like our Father in Heaven. Jesus tells us that story. This is your Father in Heaven, warm embrace. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, there's a warm embrace. You never meet him cold. He'll never be cold towards you. Welcome home, welcome home is what it say. Uh, you know, for the people being taken into captivity, the journey home would seem almost impossible. But God offers them not just forgiveness, he offers them deliverance. A way back home, but more importantly, a way back to God himself. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all recognize that this verse is also pointing to John the Baptist. And one day John the Baptist would precede Jesus Christ and he would come and he'd take a chainsaw to religious pretense and to hypocrisy. And he'd cut it all down, he'd cut through it. And his job would be to cut through every mountain and level out every valley to make a straight path to Jesus Christ. That the people could come to Jesus Christ with all the religious baggage packed to the side and come unto him alone. His job would be to cut through every mountain and level every valley. Forgiveness, deliverance. However, Isaiah would not just leave the people there without giving them assurance. Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You know, in the two previous verses, Isaiah is describing how fragile mankind is. Mankind is as grass, he says. And the good part of his character, which is lovely, like the flowers, beautiful flowers in the field, but how fragile that is. The grass withers, the flower falls, one gust of wind and it's gone. It's gone. And we know how fragile life is. But in contrast to that, Isaiah assures the people of God's promises. And he assures us as well of God's promises. He says, the word of our God stands forever. He says, you're in for some 70 years of tough times, but I want you to go into captivity remembering this, that every promise, everything that I said to you, I stick by. Isaiah didn't just want them to listen, though, to the Word of God. You know, we can listen to the Word of God and go over heads. But he wanted them to take it to their hearts. He wanted them to make it personal. And when it's grabbed their hearts, when it's burning in their souls, he wants them to blaze it abroad, to share it, even share it in in Babylon. This is what he says. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Behold your God. Speak the news with conviction, with authority, with assurance, with no apology and no excuse. Declare declare the gospel. The good news. Declare it. Behold your God. Look out for your God, for he's coming to deliver you. You know, does such language not transport you at your mind to the foot of the cross? To the man who hung between two thieves? Do you see the blood which runs from his hands and side? The crown of thorns upon his head, and we can point and say, Behold, your God. Verse 12, the God who can take all the water. I want you to imagine this the God who can take all the water from the oceans and hold it, the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Indian, all of it, hold it in his hands. This is our God. Or the God who, with with the breadth of one hand, can put all of the stars in place in, in thousands of galaxies. Or the God who can accumulate and dust up every minuscule piece of dust in the whole wide world and measure it in a jug. Or take every single mountain in the whole earth and put it on scales. This is our God. This is the power of our God. Behold your God. Now look upon the cross, and behold, your God, your Deliverer, is coming. They looked forward to the cross in faith. We look back to the cross in faith. Our Deliverer has already come. And the piece of parchment filled with the records of all your sins... They're being, When you receive Christ, they're folded up, put back on the door, paid in full. God, through Isaiah, is introducing us to Calvary. King of kings, Lord of lords, crucified in weakness, but risen in power. That's forgiveness. It's deliverance. It's assurance. Let's just pray a moment. Father, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for setting Jesus, who was the third party to pay the debt so that you, God, could be just and not have your justice compromised, but your Son gave you the opportunity to show us mercy. And it's in you and in you alone that we find that forgiveness, that deliverance, that assurance, that fresh start. And grace, which means a favor that's undeserved. We don't deserve it. We recognize that, Father. We thank you for your grace, your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. In Isaiah 40, we heard God say words we, we didn't expect him to say. You know, we expected words of judgment and anger and, you know, just consequence of disobedience, harshness. But he says to comfort my people. Comfort them. Comfort them. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins again on the cross after Jesus had been through so much. He says words that we don't expect him to say. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive who? Forgive, forgive those who lied against you? Yes. Forgive those who punched you in the face? Yes. Yes. Forgive those who ripped your back open with a spiked whip. Yes. Forgive those who humiliated you, who made a joke of you. Yes. Forgive those who nailed you to the cross. Yes. And if we were to ask him today, do you forgive me?
1: Forgive you? Course's answer would be, of course I do.
0: Let's thank God for these symbols. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us and your love to us. And Lord, we thank you for these symbols. The the bread that represents the body which is broken for us. And Lord, the blood that represents well, the, the, the wine that represents the blood that, that was poured out for us. And those two images, Lord, they, they, they're filled with pain. We thank you for what you did. We could never repay you. But we thank you that you don't expect us to, but just to receive you as Lord and Savior. Amen. And I know I was talking about communicant membership earlier on. Listen, to come around the Lord's table, as long as you love and trust the Lord, you don't have to be a communicant member, you're very welcome to come around the Lord's table and enjoy being in his presence. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, He took it, and he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's eat that all together. Let's stand and worship God with Jesus, pet it all. We're playing it just a wee bit before the service, so we'd sort of familiarise yourselves with the, with the tune. But Billy's going to lead us now in Jesus, pet it all, and he's going to play the, the verse and the chorus, and then we'll join in. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.